The Guardian. Order. Questions to the Prime Minister. Dr Julian Huppert. Number one, please, sir. Thank you, Mr Speaker. I'm sure the whole House will wish to join me in paying tribute to Private Matthew Hazeldun from the 2nd Battalion, the Mercian Regiment. Despite only being in the Army for a short time, he had already proved himself to be a dedicated and courageous soldier. He's made the ultimate sacrifice for the safety of the British people, and we should send our deepest condolences to his family and his friends. This week, we will, of course, pause to remember all those who've lost their lives in defence of our country so that we can enjoy peace and freedom, and we are humbled by the sacrifice that they have made. This morning I had meetings with ministerial colleagues and others, and in addition to my duties in this House, I shall have further such meetings later today. Dr Julian Huppert. May I add my tribute to the Prime Ministers about the sad death of Private Matthew Hazeldon from 2nd Battalion Mercian Regiment, especially with Remembrance Sunday so near. And the Prime Minister is rightly concerned about jobs and growth, and crucial to that is consumer confidence. Does he think that telling 25 million workers they have no job security and could be fired at will tomorrow will boost or reduce consumer confidence? Clearly what we have to do is make it easier for firms to hire people. That's why we have scrapped, scrapped Labour's jobs tax. That's why we've taken a million of the lowest paid people out of tax. That's why we've established new rules so you can only go to a tribunal after working somewhere for two years. And that's why we've introduced fees for claims in employment tribunals to stop vexatious claims. Added to that, we're investing in the work programme, in an apprenticeships, all as a way, a way of helping to give young people jobs. Ed Miliband. Mr Speaker, can I join the Prime Minister in paying tribute to Private Matthew Hasseldun from the 2nd Battalion, the Mercian Regiment? He showed immense courage trying to protect local people, and our thoughts are with his family and friends. And with troops serving in conflict overseas, it is even more important that we honour this weekend, in Remembrance Sunday, all of those who have served our country and are indeed serving our country today. Mr Speaker, can the Prime Minister tell us how many people entered the UK under the Home Secretary's relaxed border controls? Well, the figures for the period between August 2010 and August 2011 for the number of people who entered the country are published in the normal way. And the figures I do have is that the number of people arrested was actually up by 10%, and the number of drug seizures was markedly up, and the number of firearm seizures was up by 100%. But I think we should be clear about what did and what did not happen here. First, The Home Secretary did agree a pilot for a more targeted approach to border control. This was for people within the European economic area. It allowed better targeting of high-risk people and less for others, notably children. This did not compromise security. This was an operational decision, but one I fully back and think that she was right to take. But second, and this is important, Mr Speaker, Decisions were taken to extend this beyond the European Economic Area Nationals. This was not authorised by the Home Secretary. Indeed, when specific permission was asked for, it was not granted. Now, let me just say, this did not mean our borders were left undefended. Passports continued to be checked. But as this was unauthorised action, as it was contrary to what the Home Secretary agreed, it is right that the head of the Border Force was suspended. And I back that action completely. Mr Speaker, it's just not good enough. The, pri- the, the Prime Minister... The pr-
Prime Minister, the Prime Minister can't tell us, the Prime Minister can't tell us how many people, how many millions of people will let in under the relaxed, relaxed border controls agreed by the Home Secretary. Mr Speaker, isn't it totally unacceptable that the Home Secretary chose to relax border controls in July and even yesterday she could not tell us which airports and ports it applied to, how many took it up and for how long? She provided those figures, and the figures for the number of arrests are as follows. Firearms, 100% increase in seizures. Illegal immigrants, 10% increase in arrest. Forged documents, 48% increase. But the simple fact, the simple fact that the right honourable gentleman has to accept, and I think everyone has to accept, is this, is the head of the UK border agency, Rob Whiteman, who also didn't know that this unauthorised action was taking place, he said this, and I think, it's, I think it's very important for the House to understand, that the head of the border agency said this, Brodie Clark admitted to me on the 2nd of November that on a number of occasions this year he authorised his staff to go further than ministerial action. I therefore suspended him from his duties. In my opinion, it was right for officials to have recommended the pilot so we focus attention on high risk to our border, but it is unacceptable that one of my senior officials went further than was approved. That is why he was suspended. That is why the Home Secretary backed that decision. But it's an important issue you to understand that Brodie Clark was suspended by the head of the UK border agency. It was a decision, quite rightly, taken by him, backed by the Home Secretary, backed by me. Isn't it utterly typical, Mr Speaker, when things go wrong, it's nothing to do with them. Just before the Right Honourable Gentleman continues, let me just emphasise there are members on both sides of the House shouting their heads off. Members of the Youth Parliament last Friday who spoke... Order! Order! Who spoke brilliantly and passionately, disagreed with each other, but they didn't shout at each other. Mr Ed Miliband. Now, now Mr Speaker, Mr Speaker, what did the Home Secretary say in the past when she was in opposition, when things went wrong on immigration? She said this, I'm sick and tired of government ministers who simply blame other people when things go wrong. Now the, Prime Minister, now, the Prime Minister said yesterday, in his evidence to the Liaison Committee, about the relaxation of border controls in the last few months, and I quote, clearly it's not acceptable, and it's not acceptable it went on for so long. Mr Speaker, why did the Home Secretary allow it to happen? You can't, on the one hand, blame me for not taking responsibility, but then quote very clearly my words, taking responsibility, and saying what isn't acceptable. Say, having a lecture in responsibility from a party that trebled immigration, that let an extra 2.2 million people into our country, that allowed everyone from Eastern Europe to come here with no transitional controls, that built up a backlog of half a million asylum claims and made no apology about it. And even today, when the Leader of the Opposition is asked whether too many people were let into our country, his answer was very simple, no. Ed Miliband. 
Mr. Speaker, he's been the Prime Minister for 18 months. He can't keep saying it's nothing to do with him. It's his responsibility. And a, and a month ago, Mr. Speaker, the Prime Minister gave a speech on border controls called Reclaiming Our Borders. But, Mr. Speaker, while he was boasting about reclaiming our borders, his Home Secretary was busy relaxing our borders. Doesn't the Prime Minister think he should at least have known? The pilot that the Home Secretary introduced meant more arrests, more firearms seized, more forged documents found. That is the truth of it. The fact is that officials went further than Home Office ministers authorised. That is what is wrong, and that is why someone had to be suspended. And that was the right decision. He asks what we have done. Let me tell him what we have done. We are completing e-borders so that every flight will be checked from outside the EU by next April. We are creating the National Crime Agency with the dedicated border police. We've got the first six months of this year. We seized more drugs than in the whole of last year. Last year, we rejected 400,000 applications for visas. We turned away 68,000 people without the correct documents. I am determined we have tough border controls. And finally, we've got a Home Office and an Immigration Minister that actually want to cut immigration. Mr Speaker, anyone listening to the Prime Minister would think his policy has been a great success. It's a fiasco. It's a complete fiasco. Now the, now, the one thing he can't claim to know anything about is cuts to the UK border force. Can he now confirm how many UK border, store, border staff are going to be cut uh, under his government? By the end of this Parliament, there will be 18,000 people working for the UK Border Agency, which is the same number as were working for the UK Border Agency in 2006 when he was sitting in the Treasury and determining the budgets. about he asked about what we've done in 18 months in office on immigration let me tell him the first ever limit on work visas from outside the european union we've stopped more than 470 colleges from bringing in bogus foreign students we have cut student visas by 70000 anyone who comes here to get married has to speak english we are ending automatic settlement rights and stopping the nonsense of people misusing the Human Rights Act. In 18 months, we've done more to control immigration than he did in 13 years. Mr Speaker, the truth is it's a fiasco and he knows it. And that is the reality. And it is a pa- and, and Mr Speaker, it is a pattern with this government. Broken promises. Gross incompetence. Blame everybody else. He's an out-of-touch Prime Minister leading a shambolic government. Well, as ever, he just completely lost his way. And um, I, think, I, think he should spend, I think he should spend a little more time listening to the author of Blue Labour, Lord Glassman, because he said this, very clear, Labour lied about the extent of immigration. Where's the apology? Thank you, Mr Speaker. Um, On Friday, three commando brigades will be marching through the streets of Plymouth on their homecoming parade after a successful but costly tour of duty in Afghanistan. I know the Prime Minister will be with us in spirit, but would he today like to send a message of support to these brave and very professional Royal Marines, of whom we are also very proud? 
I will certainly join my honourable friend in doing that. I know that the whole of the South West and the whole country is incredibly proud of the Marines, and we are proud of three commando brigade who are going to be marching uh, through, through, the, through Plymouth. Uh, I send my very best wishes for the homecoming parade, and we should actually put on record what they've achieved in, in Task Force Helmand. They carried out 37,000 patrols. They found over 400 IEDs. They trained over 1,300 Afghan uniformed police patrolmen. They've made a real difference to the safety and security of that country and the safety of our country too. Yeah. Lindsay Roy. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Does the Prime Minister <coughs> think it is right and proper and in any way defensible that the Royal Bank of Scotland, which received massive bailout during the crisis, should now be paying over £500 million out in bonuses this year? Um, no, I, I don't think it is acceptable. It hasn't yet set. It hasn't yet set its figures for bonus payments. The British government is a seriously large shareholder in RBS, and will be making our views known. Edward Lee, in joining me in giving our condolences to the relatives of the Red Arrows pilot killed at RAF Scanton yesterday, will the Prime Minister acknowledge the overriding need for safety? And that our campaign to save RAF Scampton from closure is not just based on sentiment for the historic home of the dam busters, but on the overriding need for the kind of safe, uncluttered skies above North Lincolnshire, which the Red Arrows need to practice safely. Well, I'm sure the hearts of everyone in this House goes out to the family of the pilot who was killed in this terrible accident, and it comes on top of a second accident that happened uh, in the Red Arrows, and this has obviously been a very tragic time for something that the whole country reveres and loves, and I know that the home to them in Lincolnshire is extremely important. We must get to the bottom of what happened, and I totally understand why he wants to stand up for, for the airbase in his constituency. Gordon Banks. Thank you, Mr Speaker. The trade unions yesterday published data showing that Clackmannanshire, in my constituency, has seen the largest growth in youth unemployment in this country. And given that we won't have the opportunity to question the Prime Minister on un unemployment numbers next year, uh, next week, can he tell me why is he letting young people down in my constituency? Yeah. Well, obviously, we face a difficult situation with unemployment, including amongst uh, young people, right across the country, and we need to do everything we can to help people back into work. That's why there's record investment going into apprenticeships, record investment going into the work programme, but the real need is to grow the private sector, because it is a time that, frankly, whoever was in government would be having to make reductions in the public sector. He shakes his head, but any government Look across Europe at the reductions that are having to be made. We need to get the private sector growing, and that is what this government is focused on. Mr. Aldous, Speaker, developing the considerable potential for jobs in the energy sector is central to the economic recovery in my constituency, as is providing local people with the skills to take on these jobs. Will the Prime Minister ensure that the government does all it can to fund the completion of the newly opened Pakefield High School in Lowestoft? which will play such an important role in skilling young people in a deprived area. My honourable friend makes an important point about this local school and the skills that it's going to bring. This year, Suffolk has an extra £33 million in, in capital funds. It's obviously for the local authority to decide how to spend this money, but I would make the point that school capital that's available throughout this spending round, throughout this Parliament, amounts to £15.9 billion. So money is there for important school projects. Gregory Campbell. Thank you, Mr Speaker. This weekend, the nation will pause to remember paying tribute to our war dead. At cenotaphs across the nation, we will pay homage to those men and women who have made the supreme sacrifice in conflicts down through the years. 
Would the Prime Minister agree that whether it is in shops, schools, churches or on football tops, where there is a desire to display this tribute in an entirely non-partisan way, it should not just be allowed, but positively promoted? I completely agree with the Honourable Gentleman and sense that the entire House does too. I think it's a remarkable achievement of the Royal British Legion and of the country as a whole that we've actually, over the past years, really reintroduced the sense of this silence taking place uh, on the 11th hour of the 11th day, and I think it's absolutely right. I think it's particularly appropriate in Northern Ireland, uh, where so many people have served so bravely in our armed forces, and indeed from both sides of the border. Whenever I visit and see the Royal Irish Regiment, you're always struck by how many people from both sides of the border have served so bravely in our armed forces. Mr Andrew Salou. Less family breakdown would reduce the costs loaded onto our economy. So will the Prime Minister encourage health authorities across the whole country to take part in Care for the Families Let's Stick Together pilots where health visitors and volunteer parents offer relationship support to new parents in the early years of their family life, which is when half of all breakups occur? My honourable friend has a great record in pushing forward this absolutely vital idea. It is a tragic fact that so many couples break up after the arrival of the first child because of all the stresses and strains it can bring. That is dreadful for those couples and dreadful for those children. We spend a huge amount as a country dealing with the problems of social breakdown. In my view, we should spend some more on trying to help keep families together. And relationship advice and support, as my honourable friend has said, is absolutely vital in that. Mark Durkin. Uh, Thank you, Mr Speaker. On Friday, the UN Security Council will consider the democratically conveyed Palestinian request for full membership of the United Nations. Might the international community not do more to advance the prospect of a two-state solution by doing more to create a two-state process? And in that context, will he ensure that the UK representative casts a positive vote on Friday and doesn't go for the cop-out of abstention. Well, my right honourable friend, the Foreign Secretary, will be making a full statement to the House about this issue uh, in a few moments' time. Let me just say this. The British Government is fully behind the two-state solution, but I profoundly believe the way you get a two-state solution is not through uh, declarations and processes at the UN. The way you get that two-state solution is the two potential states, Israel and Palestine, sitting down and negotiating. All our efforts should be put towards helping to make that happen. Order. Closed question. Tessa Munt. Question number nine, sir. Um, Thank you. The winter fuel payment provides valuable help to millions of people with paying their fuel bills. Individuals are, of course, free to donate their payment to a charity if they wish, but it must be a decision for them. Tessa Munt. I thank the Prime Minister for that question. I'd like him to congratulate Peter Wyman of the Somerset Community Foundation for having a brilliant idea where people can actually donate some or all of their winter fuel allowance to those who need it most. Would the government consider enabling those who do wish to donate by including an option on the letter sent to all of the over 60s about the winter fuel allowance to allow that donation to be donated automatically to the surviving winter appeal? I will certainly look at the suggestion that she makes, but I think it's very important that we, first of all, keep the promises that we made to Britain's pensioners about keeping up these winter fuel payments and cold weather payments. And I wouldn't want to see any uh, pressure unnecessarily put on people to do something that might not be in their own best interests. Mr Christopher Leslie. Uh, Mr Speaker, the the operational instruction from the UK Border Agency on the 28th of 
July uh, says, quote, we will cease routinely opening uh, the chips within EEA passports and checking uh, under 18-year-olds against the warnings index. Did anyone in the Home Office clear that document? And given the conflicting uh, stories between uh, the Home Secretary's officials and her own version, will he publish all the ministerial instructions to the UKBA? Prime Minister... Well, he's trying desperately to make up the ground lost by his party leader, but I'm afraid he, uh, he rather lost the, lost the house in the process. The point I'd, I'd, I'd make to him, uh, the point I'd make to him is that there is going to be an inquiry carried out by the independent chief inspector of the border agency, the very person who found out what was actually going wrong in terms of operations undertaking that didn't have the permission of ministers, and all these issues will be aired. See Crouch. Christmas Day 1914, British and German troops uh, put down their weapons and played a football match in no man's land. The following day, the bloody hostilities resumed and we today wear the poppy in remembrance of our war dead. Will the Prime Minister join me in condemning the outrageous decision by FIFA to refuse the home nations their request to wear the poppy on their shirts this weekend as a simple mark of respect and remembrance? I think the Honourable Lady not only speaks for the whole House, but in fact the whole country, of being completely baffled and frankly angry by the decision made by FIFA. Uh, If teams want to be able to put the poppy on their shirt, as many teams do in our Football League, they should be able to at the national level, whether it is the English team or whether it's the Welsh team. I think this is an appalling decision and I hope they'll reconsider it. Geraint Davis. Mr Speaker, as poverty is rising, the Prime Minister is removing the requirement for people to register to vote in Britain, thereby removing millions of people's rights to vote. Is he not taking their money with one hand and taking their votes with another? And is this not a grotesque distortion of democracy to force austerity measures on the most vulnerable while removing their their voting power? Well, the the point I'd make to the Honourable Gentleman is that we're actually introducing individual voter registration, which is a Labour policy, so he should be welcoming individual voter. I can understand why he doesn't support necessarily the idea of making all constituencies the same size, because his constituency has only got 62,000 people in, where his... Right Honourable Friend, the member for East Ham, uh, represents 91,000 people. I do think it's a basic act of fairness to have seats the same size. It was a demand of the Chartists in the 1840s, and I think it's time we introduced it. Annette Brooks. Is the Prime Minister aware that there is growing evidence about increased abuse, intimidation, harassment on park home sites across the country. Tackling these problems needs political will, not a large sum of money. Will the Prime Minister give urgency to addressing these issues so that vulnerable park homers get the protection they need and deserve as soon as possible? Yeah.
No, I, I think the Honourable Lady raises an important point. I, I've had constituency cases myself where people have been treated very badly by park home owners. There are some extremely good park home owners who do obey the rules and not just that, but demonstrate responsibility and compassion. But frankly, there are some who don't. And we are committed to providing a better deal for park home residents by improving their rights and increasing protection from bad site owners. And I will arrange for her to have a meeting with the Housing Minister so they can discuss this urgent action. Hazel Blears. In, in these difficult economic times, uh, it's even more important that our politics is in touch with the people we represent. Would the Prime Minister therefore welcome the first successful people on the Speaker's Parliamentary Placement Scheme who are with us here today? They are inspiring individuals who would never normally get the chance to work in politics. And would he agree to meet with them and listen to their views uh, on the relevance of the issues today and perhaps how all of us are doing in our politics? Uh, well, I certainly join the Right Honourable Lady in the point that she makes. She has made a, a huge amount of impact on this issue of social mobility, of wanting to help people who haven't had good chances in life, and I applaud her for that. If there's time in my busy diary, I will certainly do uh, as she, she says. I do think there's an important opportunity for everyone in this House actually to look at organisations like the Social Mobility Foundation that provide opportunities for interns from inner city schools to come and have the experience of working here in Parliament. I've used this, this scheme as other members of the Cabinet have and I think it's an excellent scheme to give people a really good chance to see what we do in this place, not just on Wednesday at 12 o'clock, but more broadly. Karen Lumley. Does my right honourable friend think it's right for honourable members to take instruction from the GMB about how to vote on amendments? Well, I, I do think the honourable lady raises a serious issue because, um, well, I, I can hear, I can sense a bit of resistance, which perhaps is not surprising when 85% of their money comes from the trade unions. But the fact is, when we discuss legislation in this House, it should be bringing our judgment, our ideas, our arguments, and not just picking up a tired old brief from a trade union. Thank you, Mr Speaker. In my constituency of Kilmarnock and Loudoun, there are over 3,000 people claiming job seekers' allowance, but the latest figures show that there were only 300 job vacancies available. Jobs are being lost in the public sector and the private sector. How high does unemployment have to go before the Prime Minister will accept that his economic policies simply aren't working? Unemployment is too high today. I want to see unemployment come down from its already high levels. And what we have to do in order to make that happen is to put resources into the apprentice scheme, to put resources into the work programme, to make sure we do all the things that help businesses to employ people. That is what this government is doing. We are cutting corporation tax, we're introducing enterprise zones, we're doing everything we can to help businesses, and we'll do that in her constituency and throughout the country. Joe Johnson. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Uh, Italian bond yields have jumped this morning by more than a percentage point to an unsustainable 8.1%. Could the Prime Minister please say what Eurozone leaders must now do to stop the contagion? 
Well, I, I do think my honourable friend makes an important point. If you don't have credibility about your plans to deal with your debts and deal with your deficits, whether you like the markets or not, they won't lend you any money. That's what we're seeing in countries like Greece and now tragically in Italy, where the price, the price of borrowing money is getting to a totally unsustainable level. It's a lesson for all of us to have sustainable plans to get on top of our debt and our deficits. In terms of Europe, the problem of contagion is that as we agree a decisive write-down of Greek debt, people inevitably start asking questions about other countries. As that happens, you need to have in place the biggest possible firewall. That is what the EFSF is all about. And Eurozone leaders urgently need to put flesh on the bones, to put figures on the size of that firewall to stop this contagion going any further. Last year, youth unemployment in Tameside stood at an unacceptable 20%, one in five. Today, it now stands at 34%, which is frankly shocking. In light of this, does he still believe that the decision to scrap the Future Jobs Fund was the right one? Let me just make the point that under Labour, youth unemployment went up by 40%. On On the issue of the Future Jobs Fund, the evidence that we received on coming into government was that the Future Jobs Fund was three or four times more expensive than other job creation schemes. And indeed, in many parts of the country, including in the West Midlands, the percentage of jobs through the Future Jobs Fund that were in the private sector was as low as two or three percent. It was right to scrap the Future Jobs Fund and put in its place apprenticeships, the work programme and work experience that will make a difference to young people. Alex Shelbrook. Thank you very much, Mr Speaker. Mr Speaker, War is a failure of politics. The people who go to war are not politicians. They're brave service people who die in the service of their country. Could I urge my right honourable friend to write to FIFA to point out that the poppy is not a political symbol. It is a symbol which says we respect the sacrifice that people have made on behalf of their countries. I I will certainly do, as my honourable friend says. I think it's not just an issue of writing to FIFA. It's also asking FIFA's membership bodies, including the FA, to take a very strong line about this. As he says, this is not an issue of left or right or or Labour or Conservative. We all wear the poppy with pride. We all do it, even if we don't approve of the wars that people were fighting in. We do it to honour the fact that these people sacrificed their lives for us. It's absolutely vital for FIFA to to understand that, and I think a clear message going out of this House and from this government can make them think again. Sir Stuart Bell. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Mr. Speaker. Building on the last answer the Prime Minister gave, given the fact that Italy is now on a credible fiscal path, in the words of the Prime Minister, will he assist the 20, Group of 20's finance ministers to meet to help create the European Financial Stability Pact in such a way that it helps the Eurozone? The the Honourable General makes an important point, but what I would say is that the first responsibility for building this bailout fund has got to be with the Eurozone members. And I think the problem at the G20, as we discussed in this House on Monday, is you can't ask the G20 and the IMF and countries like Britain to do things that the Eurozone members aren't themselves prepared to do. We do stand ready to boost the IMF. We do want to help countries in distress. We don't want to see our trading partners collapse. We understand that even though we don't support membership of the Euro, countries falling out of the 
euro could be very painful for our economy. But it is for the eurozone countries. It is their currency. They have to sort out the problems. Mr William Cash. Prime Minister, in reply to my honourable friend, the member for Orpington, referred to a firewall in relation to these bailouts. Would he accept that what we really need is structural renegotiation of the treaties, given the impact that it is having on the United Kingdom? And to use a cricketing analogy, which he will be aware of, he would not be sent in with a broken bat. He would be sent in with a new bat and a United Conservative team behind him. Well, uh, there's, a, there's a long history... Um, there's a long history in my party of cricketing metaphors and Europe uh, ending unhappily, so I think I won't uh, necessarily follow him down that path. What I would say is that we will defend the national interest. When there was a treaty change in the European Council, we got something back for Britain, which was to get out of the EU bailout fund. If there are future treaty changes, and some European countries are pushing for them, we will make sure we do a good deal for Britain and protect our national interests. Order, order. I remind the House that this Friday is the 11th of November, Armistice Day. Although the House is not sitting on that day, many of us will be on the estate performing our parliamentary duties. At 11 o'clock on Friday, I regard it as appropriate that we and staff working for us should join the nation in observing the two-minute silence so that we might remember those who gave their lives for their country to help to preserve our democratic freedoms. Instructions will be issued to heads of House departments so that those members of staff who wish to observe the two-minute silence may do so. Order. Statement, the Foreign Secretary. Mr Secretary Hayes. For more great downloads, go to guardian.co.uk forward slash audio.